Praise God, somebody. Uh-uh, I got two people in this room. Praise God, somebody. How many people are glad that we serve a God that made a way? Amen. How many people are glad that we have to serve a God that still makes a way till today? Amen. And if you're not convinced about God making a way, you need to come with us on mission trips because that's where you see the hand of God at work in ways that you would never think. Um, you see miracles happen. Amen. We serve a God that still does miracle today. Amen. In 1943, when World War II was raging in Europe, a German going all over the place, invading people, the Netherlands, they had a problem. Because the crown princess, Juliana, was pregnant. The crown princess of the Netherlands, Juliana, she was pregnant and her country being invaded by the Germans was not safe for her to give birth. But for her child to be in line for the throne, that child could only have one citizenship. Now during the war, they had fled the Netherlands to Canada. In Canada, like here, if you're born on Canadian soil, you're automatically Canadian. Uh, same here in the United States, if you're born on U.S. soil, you're automatically American. So now they have a problem because if she is born on Canadian soil, she's going to have the Canadian citizenship and that would exclude her from being able to be on the, on, uh, in line for the, for the throne in the Netherlands. So what Canada did, they carved out an exception. And they declared that wing of the hospital international territory so that the baby could be born and not be Canadian and thus still remain in line for the throne of the Netherlands. And that's when in January 19, 1943, Princess Margaret became the first and so far the only royal to have been born in Canada and to have been born in North America. And since that day, that created a special bond between the Netherlands and Canada. Um, and um, that Princess Margaret visited several times Canada, sent flowers, but because Canada carved out that exception, that allowed for her to remain in line for the throne. Touch your neighbor and say, Canadians are so nice. Amen. How many people understand, believe Canadians are nice? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, see, see what I did there? But how many people are, are, are glad that we do serve a God that because he's almighty, he's able to carve out some exception? Amen. We, he's able to carve out some exception, not exception to his holiness, but we are recipient of his grace. And there's no time of year other maybe than the Passover time, Easter time, that we can reflect on God's grace for our life than the period of Christmas. So I would ask you to open your Bibles with me in John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And it, it goes like this. It says... The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son 
who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Amen. Father God, your word is already blessed. Speaks to our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So now when we think about Christmas, you don't think necessarily about that passage um, as a Christmas passage, right? But it is in the heart of Christmas. And what I would like us to do um, today is to have Bible study. I know sometimes you guys are busy on Wednesday and you, maybe, maybe you didn't make Bible study last Wednesday. So I brought Bible study to you. Amen. Because I know, of course, you are desiring to study the Word. Amen. It is at the core of your desire to study the Word of God. And so we're going to do a little word study, right? So this simple passage says, the Word became flesh. So I would like us to first and foremost think about what that means. What does it mean the Word became flesh? I'll go ahead, PJ. Loud. Very good. It says, fully divine, but fully human. But actually, you kind of went a little bit ahead. Um, yes, but you're right. You're 100% correct. But I want us to focus now on the word. What is the word? Who is the word? Right? Number one, the word, the Bible tells us he is the creator. Right? He is the creator. If we go in that same passage to the top, um, verse 1 to verse 3, it says what? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And so, like PJ said, yes, He is fully, first of all, God. He's the, when we talk about the Word, we don't talk just about, um, um, Utterances that come out of our mouth. We're talking about, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made through Him, right? So He is the creator of everything. Um, and, and that passage parallels for us with Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to 3. And it says what? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And then the, the account of creation come. And it's, it's funny because we sometimes we read those passages and we take them for granted. But you'll notice that it says, God said. It could have said, God did. God formed, like God used his hands to create the world, but he says God said, God used the word to create everything. Um, funny enough, I was listening to some scientists on YouTube, too much time on my hands, and he was saying in his study, he thinks that everything came out of sound. That everything in the universe really came out of sound. Now, I don't know, I'm not a, a scientist like that, but I, 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 I would think sometimes, you see, science is, is just really just playing catch-up. Amen. A lot of times they do scientific discoveries thousands of years after the Bible already told you. And it says, in the beginning, God said, 
right? So in the beginning, God used his word. So in our passage, it says, in the beginning, the word, meaning the, the, the power that God used. So what we find with the word is that, number one, the word is God. Number two, the word is, is, um, is, the word is creator. It, it is a creating agent that God used to create everything that you see. If you study the universe, you see that the universe is vast and, and like you cannot imagine. I was talking to Sunday school this morning. Uh, so if you're in my Sunday school class, don't say anything. If you look at the observable universe that you can see uh, in our telescopes or whatnot, the scientists, they evaluate that from one end to the other at the speed of light. Guess how long it would take? For us to go from one side of the universe to the other. Now, Lydia, you're in my class. You already know, so don't. 93 billion years. 93 billion years that it would take for, to go from one side of the universe to the next. And, and from here to the next star, right? Our neighbor star, it would take four and a half years at the speed of light. Unfortunately for us, we don't go at the speed of light. At our current capacity of speed to go to the next star, it would take 70,000 years. Anybody want to sign up for that trip? 70,000 years that it would take to go to the next star. And so we see from the word that, number one, it is creator, Number two, it is eternal. It says in Psalm 119, 89, it says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. So it is creator. It is eternal. And, and one, one thing that I want you to understand, when you talk about something that is eternal, it's not only something that lasts long. Sometimes we think about eternity of something that lasts long, that never stops. But when you talk about eternity... You talk about something that cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. So if something is eternal, like the sun, for instance, is not eternal. It's been there as long as we've known, and it will be there for billions of years, but theoretically it could be destroyed. So it's not eternal. Something that is eternal is something that cannot be destroyed. And the word of God is eternal. It cannot be destroyed. So we have creator, we have eternal, but then the word of God is powerful. It is a powerful word. It says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, and he had provided purification for sins, and I'm sorry, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. But you see what he says? He says, God, the son being the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Everything in the universe hangs at the power 
of God's word. Everything that you see that works well together. And that's why if you're a scientist and an atheist, that's not possible to me. Because when you study science, when you study how the universe functions and how everything is catered for Earth to be able to carry life, for this planet to be able to carry life, you look at the moon, do you see life? There's no life. You look at Mars, you see life? There's no life. You look at Venus, Mercury, you don't see any life. But everything centered for this place right here, right now, to be able to carry life. And all of that is standing, it is sustaining and, and, and being held together by the powerful word of God so the word of God is powerful so it is creator it is it is eternal and it is powerful but it, it's funny because it says the word became flesh it became flesh and, 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 and that's a, a, if you want a paradox or an oxymoron, because how can you have the creator becoming now like the created? How can you have the eternal now become like the mortal, like, like the limited, like, like, uh, how can you have the powerful now become the weak? The weak. And, and, and you don't have, like Peter says in first Peter, 123 says, he underscores how weak we are. It says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of men as the flower of the grass that the grass withers and, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. How can something so great like the word of God become something so weak like the flesh of man? Now I know, I know I got some people, y'all go to the gym and you think you're strong. Amen. Any gym goers? Amen. Amen. Oh, hi. How are you? And, 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 and you're fast and you're, you look good. You're, um, you're smart. But you know, all that will fade away. Eventually, at a point, all that will, will fade away. And, and, it, and it's mind-boggling why the Almighty God would, would come and, and become all limited, become flesh, become human. And, and, and I don't say that, you're tripping. Like, I mean, you as we're pretty strong. If you ever see, like, those strong men thing, the guys, they put uh, a, a thing in their mouth and they pull a truck. You ever see those competitions? Or you watch basketball, you see all those players super strong. But eventually, even the, the best, they starts to fade. You know, and if you guys know me, I, 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 I love LeBron. I love to hate on LeBron. Amen. But he has a quote. I love that quote. He said, because LeBron, he's older, but he's still playing at a high level. Uh, and there's a quote that says, Father time is undefeated. And LeBron says, I'm just trying to give him one loss. I'm trying to give him one loss. Right? I'm trying to play. He's like, I think, 38, 39. I'm trying to play as long as I can to defeat Father time. Unfortunately, it's a good sentiment. But it's not real. Because eventually the flesh fades. 
the flesh. And, and, and humans, we're so strong in a sense, but so weak in another sense. Sometimes you watch how people die and you're like, what? One of the craziest, I think I shared that already one time, but one of the craziest way I ever saw somebody die, <clears throat> I was reading an article and this guy in Australia, you know these guys, they like to do pranks, not pranks, but challenges. He's doing a challenge and the guy went and ate a lizard. He went and ate a lizard alive. You know, like, you know when you try to prove people? Yo, yo, bro, yo, bro, and then he goes and he eats it. Guys, young people, don't be doing no stupid challenges, amen? If your friend challenges you, don't, don't listen to them. So that guy, he went and ate a lizard. And he died, but he didn't die immediately. He died a slow, long, painful death of a year. Because by eating the lizard, he infected his inside. And then his inside, you know, over time, they went down, they went down, they went down until he died. Now, I don't know what you put on the death certificate. Death by lizard? Or death by stupidity? But I don't want to point the finger too much at him because we're all subject to doing something stupid. And I remember my first hurricane here. My first hurricane... Oh, we got to put up the, the, um, the shutters. So I take the ladder up and I go up and I try to put the shutters by myself. And I lose, the, I let the shutter go, but then I realize, Dave, this is not a smart thing to do. Get yourself down the ladder, go get somebody that can hold the ladder for you, and then you can put up your shutters. If you look at hurricane season, every year I guarantee you, you listen to the radio, Somebody's gonna die, not of the hurricane, but they're gonna fall off a ladder because they're trying to do something. We're fragile. We're fragile. But why would the word now become flesh? What would bring God to make the world, the, the word become flesh? And the problem, I believe, is best laid out by Job. So if you jump with me in the book of Job, in, in chapter 9, and we're going to read the first part and the last part. So verse 1 to verse 4, and then afterwards verse 37 to 35. And Job, if you know the story, he's a rich guy, he's serving God, he has a family, he's like the perfect guy, right? He's serving God, he has a family, and then there's a challenge in heaven. Where the devil comes to God, or God, the devil comes to God, and they're having a chat, and God says of Job to Satan, Did you see my servant Job? Yeah, I saw him. There is no man like him on earth. Yeah, but that, you give him everything. You give him money, you give him family, you give him everything. Of course he's gonna serve you. Anybody would serve you if you give him everything. And, 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 um, and the devil said, but take something away from him and see if he still serves you. God says, you know what? No, Job is my boy. Joy, Job is going to serve me no matter what. So I'm going to allow you take away his money. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm pretty sure that's... Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you, future Dr. Ellie. Thank you, present Dr. Ellie. Amen. 
And so they take away the money. Job stays faithful. They take away the children. They take away the health. So Job lost his money. He lost his, his, his family and he lost his health and he's down and not even the dogs would come and lick and be so down. You ever, and, and sometimes maybe you're in your life and you're going through something and you might look good on the outside, but on the inside you're down like Job. And, and now people are coming to Job. His friends, his homies are coming. They came from far and they come to Job and they ask Job, bro, what did you do? He says, guys, I didn't do nothing. Listen, if you're down like that, you must have done something wrong. You must have done something bad. And instead of being a comfort to him, they're putting him down even more. You ever been in that situation where you're going through something, you need somebody to lift you up, but they put you down, amen? And Job is finding himself in this situation. And in that back and forth, he says this, he says, Job chapter, Job chapter 9 verse 1 to 4 it says, Then Job replied, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound, his power is vast, who has resisted him and come out unscathed. I can't talk to God in that way. God is wisdom is high and I'm just a human. There's no point of reference. I can't, I can't discuss with him. And then he goes, if we jump to the end of the chapter, verse 32 to 35, he says, he is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. So Job, and by the way, a lot of scholars think that Job is the first book that would have been written in the Old Testament. And he goes and he says, I can't talk to God if only there was somebody that could be between me and God that could talk to to us and, and then I could come to him. If somebody could take away the rod of the wrath of God towards me, then I could come and speak to God and I would be fine. But as of now, I cannot. I have good news, Job. Now you can because Jesus Christ came. Amen. And that's why word had to become flesh because becoming flesh now made God through Jesus Christ akin to us, related to us. The first question that God asked mankind, the first question that God ever asked mankind that we know of in Genesis chapter 3 is where are thou? Where are you? When men sin and fail and, and, and listen to the wrong voice, listen to the voice of the devil, and now they're hiding, God came in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, do you think that God did not know the geographical location of Adam? 
You think that God, you know, you know, like on the phones now you can track. You think that God lost track of Adam? Say, so, oh, now, guys, Michael, Gabriel, we, we lost Adam. Adam is lost. No, God knew exactly where Adam was. But Adam was hiding. He was in a now, he, Adam had perfect communion with God, but now that communion was broken. So now he was hiding. Now he was, he was trying to not see God. He was, and, and, and there's a sense where God is asking Adam, where are you to make Adam understand kind of what he did? But there's also a sense where God, the perfect God, now sees imperfection in his creation. God, the holy God, sees ungodliness in his creation. And he's like, what in the world is this? This is not what I did. What did you do, Adam? What, what happened? And Jesus coming answers that question. Jesus coming, now the living God, the word of God, now in the body of flesh, walking amongst men, being tired like men, being thirsty like men, being rejected like men, being hurt, feeling physical pain like men, now he can understand men. Now he can understand what we're going through because he went through it himself. And so the word had to become flesh because that's by that flesh that he would redeem us. There's something called in the Old Testament, a kinsman redeemer, where if you were a lady and you're married to a man and he died, a next of kin could take now the widow and make her his wife and redeem her. But they have to be related. That's the book. That's the whole book of Ruth. Anybody read the book of Ruth? Amen. That's the whole book of Ruth. So they had to be related. And so before Jesus coming, we weren't related. There wasn't that connection with God. Like we can only, and that's why like in the Old Testament, only a few people would get the Holy Spirit. Only a few people would get the revelation of God. But once Jesus came, died on the cross, and then went and sat at the right hand of God, it says, he made a way to heaven. He opened the door. He tore the veil. So now that we have access to God, and now because now, because through Jesus Christ, now we are related of, to, to God. He says in Romans that we can call on God, Abba, Father, dear Father. You know that in Christ, God now is your Father. And you have access to Him. So what Job says that now I can't, he says, then I would speak up without, speak up without fear of Him. But as it now, it stands, I cannot. You know that now you can. You can't go and speak to God and not be afraid. You can, uh, Hebrews 4 says, you can approach the throne of God with assurance. You want to know what's assurance? And if you notice when I come in the room, what my daughter do? Daddy, 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 she comes with assurance. You can run to your father now with assurance. But then you might say, okay, Dave, um, that explains why we needed God to do this. Because we were lost. Without hope. So we needed God to come. If you've ever been in a dire situation like somebody drowning, there's nothing you could do. 
If you don't know how to swim and you're in the water, tough luck. You need somebody from the outside to come and rescue you. So that explains why we need a God. But that doesn't explain why God would do it. Why would God, is Jesus, leave heaven to come down and, and be on earth? Now, you know, sometimes we do quiz. If I asked you, if you had to choose another time to be born, would you rather live in the past or live in the future? Abby, what, what, what would you do? Future? How many people would like to live in the past? You're like, like what, what time? When women didn't work? Okay, that's a little past. That's not too far past. Right? Okay. Um, how many people, uh, you would want the past? Okay. How many people would want the future? Okay. How many people would want the far past back in Jesus' day? Micah, you would want that? The far past when Jesus was there. Not, but not, not, you're not seeing Jesus. Just that time. You would want that? Okay, we need to have a history class. Oh, and actually, we don't need a history class. Let's go to Haiti real quick. <laughs> let's go to, let's go home. Let's go home. I was listening on the radio, not radio, on the YouTube, and they were saying, Jeremy, by the way, they have a, a blackout. And I don't know, I don't know, it's just some YouTuber saying some, I don't know if it's true, but they were saying, she was saying like they've been having a blackout for three years. Now imagine living without electricity for three, three days. And so Jesus, being eternal, could have chosen any time in the history of mankind to come down. He could have chosen to come out down in 2023 with AC and, and cars and, and all that stuff and planes and, 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 you know, and with, with all the internet and the word would go fast. But he didn't choose that time. He didn't choose that cozy time. He chose the time when the Roman Empire was in charge and they had one of the most cruel, cruel death punishment ever. You see, now we have death penalty in the United States in some places, but it's humane. Like they, they do something called lethal injection here. They, they put a little thing in your, in your veins and you fall asleep and you die. And ah. Uh, except when it goes wrong and then. But back then, their capital punishment was the cross. That was the capital punishment. The capital punishment was the cross, meaning the, 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 the whipping with the, the metal and, uh, 40 times and then the, the crucifixion and then you're, you're standing on that cross and you can't breathe. Every breath you take is painful. Every breath you take is painful because you're resting on your you have nails through your feet. You have nails here. And so you're resting on, and every time you have to take a breath, it, it, it's here, it's here, it's here, and it's painful. And then they pierced his side. And that moment, 
Jesus, he chose to go through it. He could have said no, and he had the power. We see the word is powerful. He could have not created the mountain on which he was crucified. He could have not created the wood that was taken to crucify him, but he still on purpose went through it. It's not something that happened to him and like he had no power over. He told Pilate, he said, you only have a little power over me if I, and you only have the power that my father gives you. And he told Peter, oh, hold your horses. Don't use a sword to cut the guy's ears. Don't you know I could call a thousand angels and they will be here and they will take care of that? Now, do you understand if you read the book of Revelation, you understand that Jesus, he could have called a thousand angels, but he only need one. Only one angel could wipe out the whole Roman Empire. Right? If you read the book of Revelation and you see the angels at work, you don't need a lot to take care of the business on earth. He said, I could have called them, but I'm not calling them. Because I've chosen that path. And he's chosen that path of crucifixion. For what? Like what was his reason? And there's only one reason that explains that. Romans 5 verse 8. Romans 5 verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates his love. Demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the rest of the passage says, you know, maybe you would die for a good person, right? Uh, maybe you would die for a good person. How many people here you would die for your president? Amen. No? Okay. No? I see people laughing. Okay. How many people would die? Okay, I'm not going to use people we know. We don't want to find out. But how many people would die? I don't know. If you know this person has a cure to cancer, would you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to die for them so they can finish the cure for cancer. Or you say, oh, Tia, you said, now y'all, y'all gone. Y'all, y'all, it's a wrap. How many people would say, bon Dieu fait your gas and you keep on living, right? Amen. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to die for them while they were still sinners, while they were not doing what they were supposed to do, while they were not living in the way that I want them to live, while they were still drunk, while they were still taking drugs, while they were still fornicating and doing all of that stuff, I am going to die for them on the cross. And there's only one reason I'm going to do this is because I love them. It's the only reason is because I love them. And when you take time to, to go over the, um, the meaning of Jesus going, you see, it's kind of, and don't switch the slide yet. It's the, um, the five languages of love. You guys know, you know what I'm talking about? The five love languages? What are they? Five love languages. Physical touch. Sabnanti? Words of affirmation. Acts of service. Gifts. Quality time. You know that in the coming of Christ and, and his life, you have all of those. You have all of those. You can switch the slide to the love languages of God. You, you have all of those. 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 You know you have every single one of them in there. Physical touch, it says, the word became flesh. 
right? So God, Jesus came and became flesh and then he walked amongst us. And you can see when he heals somebody, it says um, um, the, the blind person is going to come and touch his, his, his eyes and, and, and give him life. Or, or when even the lepers came and the lepers, they would, you're not supposed to touch a leper, but Jesus would come and would touch them and heal them. And the lady that was losing blood, she, she came and what happened? And, and then she touched the, the, the garment, the, the bottom of his garment. And he said, what, well, who touched me? So he came and, 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 and he became flesh so that he could relate to us and touch us in the place of our need. Quality time says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling means uh, is to, to, to cast a tent, a tent that you could stay. And that's a, um, a, a um, reference to the tabernacle in the desert where God used the tabernacle to signify his presence amongst his people. Jesus comes and signifies the presence of God with his people on earth. He made his dwelling, meaning he cast his tent so that we could be here. And by spending time with him, John tells us we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son of God who came from the father. Um, so we have physical touch, quality time, receiving gifts. What's the most popular verse of the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life receiving gifts and and and, and what you find is is Jesus when you serve him he gives you more than only salvation he gives you uh, he gives you gifts that you need sometimes you might ask for stuff but how many people know that God has blessed you beyond what you would imagine, amen? That God blesses you in ways that sometimes you don't foresee. And and then definitely he gives us gifts. Next one. Uh, by the way, there's a little delay because our, our, our chief technician is actually doing it remote while his wife is about to give birth. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. No, no, that's not news. It's not news. I'm just exaggerating, right? But they're saying it's being done remotely. That's why there might be a little delay. After after receiving gifts, you have acts of service. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what you find when you look at the life of Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, when he was here, he wasn't waiting for people to serve him. He was himself serving other people. And John 13 says, when he wanted to show his apostle that he, he loved them, what did Jesus do? He got on his, on his, he got down and he started washing his apostles feet. You know, there are some denominations still today, they, they do what they call the washing of feet, where during service, people would wash each other's feet. Amen. How many people want to have their feet washed? Here, you don't need to go to the spa, you can come to the church. Amen. No, go to the spa, we ain't doing that. But Jesus got down and he served his disciple. Now he said to them, I am your master, that is right. But now what I did, did it to do to the others. Can you imagine the king of king got down and washed somebody's feet? How many people you would do that for your neighbor? Get down and wash their feet. Tia, we should do that before going to missions. <laughs> what? But Jesus did it. 
Jesus did it because he came to serve and not be served. And the last one, words of affirmation. Well, Christ himself is the word and he came. And that is the what more affirmation could we need than the son of God, the word of God coming himself down and coming and saying, and his coming is saying one thing and he's saying, I love you. I love you is what Jesus is saying by coming. And Romans, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You understand that if you have Jesus, Jesus being the word of God, that is the affirmation that you, you, you need. Like there's nothing greater in the universe than Jesus Christ. And Jesus is, is so big that the universe cannot contain him, but he decides to make himself so small that he lives in your heart. And that's by his choice. Because our hearts are wicked. We didn't come to God because we were so good. We came to God because he chose us. We were elected for his grace. And we were so blessed that we got to. You know you get to come and serve God. He don't need nothing. But he chose you. He chose me to come and to be in his presence. That's insane. In Isaiah 43 he says. I know you by name. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You understand that when Jesus came and lived inside of you, whatever comes to you has to go through him first. Whatever comes against you is coming against him too because it's inside of you. And he that is inside of you is greater than who is in the world. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but what I want you to take away, what I want you to understand as we're celebrating the Christmas season is that Christmas means Jesus loves you. Christmas means Jesus is with you. Jesus is inside of you if you received him. And so therefore, you could face whatever is coming your way because Jesus is facing it with you. And, and, and that's what means the word becoming flesh is word becoming akin, connected to us, to going through what we're going through. But unlike flesh, his flesh is they did not stay here. His flesh rose again and his flesh has the power to make a difference. His flesh has the power to not only save you from hell, but to save you from what you're going through right now. You know, in the Christmas story, you have different characters. And what, what, what it tells us, it's really about God's grace. Right? The last part of our passage says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace. The coming of Jesus Christ is, is, is about the grace of God. The grace of God is a favor that you don't merit. But in the meaning of the word, there's a sense of leaning towards. When, when God shows you favor, that means God is leaned towards you. That God is, is, is inclined to do you good. And, and, and Jesus coming was because God is inclined to do good of all mankind. You receiving Christ, meaning, it's mean God is inclined to do good to you. Because now you have his son inside of you. He's inclined to do you good. But the funny thing is, is that the grace of God, the word in Greek is charis, 
is related to the joy of God, kara. Charis, kara, they're cognate, they're the similar words, meaning that when you are a recipient of the grace of God, it generates inside of you joy that you cannot understand. It generates inside of you peace that you cannot understand. And that's the biggest testimony you can have is when you're going through something, but you still have the joy of God. You still have that, that presence and people can't understand. And you, even yourself, if you're honest, you cannot understand it. You can only live it because you have that relationship with God. In, in, um, the, the Christmas story, you have different characters, but you have characters that are paradoxical, that are kind of opposite. Last week, Pastor Perry spoke about the shepherd and he told us the shepherd were the poor people. The shepherd were the outcasts. They were the, the, the rejected people. And God still came to them and uh, with the angel and showed them, um, told them where to find the Messiah. And you'll notice that they were close. If you follow with me in Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 2, verse, sorry, verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. And he told them, so they're the poor people, they're in the field doing their job, and the angel comes and gives them a news, and the news is that the Messiah is there, and he tells them that good news will cause great joy. It will cause great joy, and, and what you find is that they experience that great joy going and finding the Messiah in like little baby in a manger, which is weird because you have the king of kings, but he's in a little manger. If you know it's a manger, it's where the animals get their feet, right? So that's the lowest of the low that you could think, right? You think your hospital around here is bad? Try try to be born in a manger. But on Matthew tells us about another group of people, and those people are rich. They're loaded. They're called the wise men, and they're loaded. How you know they're loaded is because when, and they came from far. So the poor people were close, but the rich people were far. And they came from far and they arrived in Jerusalem. And how you know they were loaded is because when they arrived in Jerusalem, it created such a commotion that King Herod was like, whoa, what was, what's going on? And then word came to him, these people, these foreigners are in town and, and it's, and they're looking for the king of the Jews. And here's a, uh, weird, and you, we don't know a lot about them, but you notice how they saw a star. So they were open. They were seeking, but they were rich. They were coming from far and they made it to Jerusalem, which is the city of kings. Jerusalem is the city of kings. So that's where you would expect to see a king be born. Sometimes where you expect God to act is not where he's going to act. Sometimes you expect God to act in a flashy, grandiose way. You would expect the king of kings and the Lord of lords to be born in the best palace in the best city in Israel. So you would expect him to be born in the palace in Jerusalem. So in their quest, they got lost. And how they found their way is God used Herod to go see the priest. 
so that they could read scripture that would tell them the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. And now he redirects them into the right situation and they see the star again. And if you follow with me in Matthew, in Matthew, it says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now you notice they were lost in Jerusalem. They went where they thought they were going to find the Messiah, but that wasn't the place. And I want to tell you that sometime God uses the little things more than the great things. When Elijah was needing to hear from God, he was in a cave and there was a big thunder. And he says, ah, God wasn't in that thunder. There was a big wind. He said, God wasn't in that big wind. But then came a little whisper. He says, ah, God was in that little whisper. And sometime in your life, you're going to see the hand of God. Yes, you could see it in a great, amazing way. But sometimes you're going to see the hand of God in a little thing. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. Is God, when he decided to save humanity, he went not to Jerusalem, not to Rome. He went to Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem is? It's a little backwater town. It's a little piece of nothing. But that's where that God sent the salvation of humanity. In a, and then in that, it wasn't in the best house. It was in a little stable. If you ever been in the farm, you know what's what's distinctive at the farm? Amen. It stinks. It stinks. But that's where the salvation of mankind was born. So now Job, don't tell me that you serve a God that cannot understand you. Most likely he's born in a worse condition than you. Don't tell me that you serve somebody that doesn't relate to what you're going through. He went through it all. He went through it all. He went to the tiredness. You feel tired? He was tired. You, you feel hungry? He, he was hungry. You feel rejected? He was rejected. But he went through all of it. And in obedience to God, his father, he went through it all the way to the cross. But guess what? God raised him from the dead and gave him, put him on top. And the same way you're going through something right now, trust God and he's going to raise you and put you on top. Now the question then becomes, how do we react to such love? How do we react to such grace? What do we do? And the only way that you can answer love properly is with love. That's the only way you can answer love is with love. And so in the same way God has the five languages and you can see the five languages in, 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 in how Jesus came and lived in our lives and came, came and lived in our earth. The same way our response to him, you can use the five languages, physical touch, you can be hands on. Now I'm not telling you to go touch nobody, especially at work, you get yourself a lawsuit. But you can be there. You can be hands-on, be actively engaged. Your quality time, spend time with God. You see, God don't, doesn't need, but God wants us to spend time with Him. And somebody asked me, well, do I need to, can I just be talking to God when I'm going to my day? Yes! You can just be talking to God as you're going to your day. You can go and, and have that relationship because God doesn't want to be your idol. He wants to be your father, right? He wants you to have a relationship. At any time of day, my kids can call me. 
Now, most of the time I know what they want, so I add more time to their phone. And God knows what you want, but he wants you to pray anyways. He wants you to go to him anyway and to spend that quality time. So spend the time with God and for God, right? We spend our energy doing a whole lot of things, but how much of what we do is going to last beyond this earth? How much of what we do is going to have an impact for eternity? You know, the only thing that you bring with you on the other side, there's only one thing. You don't bring your clothes. You don't bring your car. You don't bring your... The only thing you bring is the souls that were impacted by the ministry, by your ministry. That's the only thing that comes with you, is the souls that were impacted. Now, it doesn't mean that you're a preacher. It just means that you're at work in the work of God to promote his kingdom on earth. And God, is he, he, our job is to serve. His job is to save. Don't try to think that you're saving people. You can't save people. He's the one saving people. And, and trying to save people is a burden that's too heavy to bear. I cannot bear that burden. Jesus bore that burden at the cross. So it's the Holy Spirit job to save people. My job is to serve, right? So spend time with him and for him. Give to God and what God has given you and then give to those in need. Proverbs says, he who gives to the poor lends to God. He who gives to the poor lends to God. If you do good to someone that cannot do it back to you, Guess what? God is going to give it to you. God is going to make it to you. Um, acts of service, serve God in his ministry. And there's nothing more humbling is when you see God working in a way. Uh, one place that I like to go, and we haven't been in years, is that orphanage that we went to Mexico. And I believe our orphanage here is when you see people serving the children. And the children, they can't do nothing. They were in the dumpsters trying to get food. But now you see them being cared for. And you see them being um, growing and, and smart. And then you see the hand of God at work in that environment. You want to see the hand of God at work? Serve him in his work. And you will see miracles. And then words of affirmation. You know, the Bible is a love letter. The Bible is God's love letter to you. If you feel down, open the Psalms, open the prophets. If you don't have wisdom, if you're troubled by something, open the Proverbs to get the wisdom. So learn the word of God, but then share the word of God. Share the word of God with other people. The saddest time of year is also the most wonderful time of year is Christmas time. It's the most wonderful time of year because the values of Christmas, peace, love, joy, great values. But it's the saddest time of year because if you miss the point, and a whole lot of people in our society are missing the point, they think it's about family, and yes, family is fine. They think it's about giving gifts and all that, and that is all fine. But if you miss the greatest gift of all, which is the coming of Jesus Christ, then there's no point. But if you understand that Christmas, the time that we take, you take that time to remember what Christ has done, what it means for the word to become flesh and then respond in love to love, respond to love with love. Then you see the hand of God at work and then that's when you get meaning of Christmas. God bless you.